Welcome back to the 5K Every Day in the Month of May 2021 podcast. I'm Jeff Poland, and today is day 27. As a huge Eddie George fan, this is a big day for me. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Seriously though, I have been seeing some chatter on the 5K Every Day in the Month of May Facebook group page about people actually being sad that we are almost finished with the challenge. I know how you feel. I feel like the month of May has flown by. I can't believe we have nearly made it to the finish line together. Well done everyone. Keep going, finish strong. To start you off today, here is a song from Poland Band called You Alone Are God. I need to know that you still love me After all that I have done I'm so unfaithful But you are God and you are good And I put my hope in you God of all the universe The maker of heaven and of earth How infinite your wisdom I need to remember that it's not about me It's all about your love and your grace and mercy For it's by grace that we've been saved So that no man can boast God of all the universe The maker of heaven and of earth Our infinite your wisdom
It's time for another round of Q&A. We have a couple of big ones here, so be sure to listen closely. The first question is one that has come up a lot, so let's go ahead and tackle it here. The question is, what are the final instructions for the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge? A lot of people indicated at the beginning of the 5K Every Day in the Month of May 2021 challenge that they were planning to participate in the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge. Awesome. As the weeks rolled by, some people started to think, um, maybe not, while others began wondering, can I still do the bonus challenge if I didn't sign up for it at the beginning? To address those random musings and more, here are the 5K Mayhem final instructions. Number one, if you signed up for the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge at the beginning of 5K May 2021, but now you don't want to do it, no worries. It will not disqualify you from completing the actual 5K May 2021 challenge. Number two, if you did not sign up for the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge at the beginning of the 5K May 2021 sign up, but now you do want to do it, awesome. Welcome to the land of the living. We are glad to have you. Number three, the 5K Mayhem bonus challenge is to complete a 5K walk and or run every hour on the half hour from 6.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, May 29, 2021. In simple terms, this is how you should plan your day. At 6.30 a.m., walk and or run a 5K. At 7.30 a.m., walk and or run a 5K. At 8.30 a.m., walk and or run a 5K. At 9.30 a.m., walk and or run a 5K. At 10.30 a.m., walk and or run a 5K. At 11.30 30 a.m. walk and or run a 5k at 12:30 p.m. walk and or run a 5k at 1:30 p.m. walk and or run a 5k at 2:30 p.m. walk and or run a 5k at 3:30 p.m. walk and or run a 5k at 4:30 p.m. walk and or run a 5k at 5:30 p.m. Question your life choices. Then walk and or run a 5k at 6:30 p.m. eat, drink, sleep, and be merry. Number four, the idea behind the challenge is to be back in time to start another 5K precisely on the half hour. If you get back with 15 to 30 minutes to spare, good for you. Rest up and get ready to go again. If you get back with one minute to spare, you have roughly one minute before your next 5K starts. You get the idea. Number five, if you finish the challenge, be sure to indicate that on the final check-in happening on June 1st, 2021. Doing so will ensure that you get... Well, actually, it's a mystery bonus prize. Number six, if you do not finish the challenge, hold your head up high and be proud of yourself for trying. It is a massive undertaking for sure. We are hoping that people will use this opportunity to really push themselves further than they ever thought possible. If you do that, good for you. And number seven, there really is no seventh piece to the 5K Mayhem final instructions. I just really like the number seven. Additionally, we would like to encourage you to find a group to do this challenge with. We really believe it will enhance your chance for success. I will be attempting to do a Facebook Live video between each 5K. If you have a group together and would like to be a part of one of my Facebook Live videos between laps, send me a direct message on Facebook and I'll try to coordinate that with you. Get rested up, drink plenty of water, eat plenty of carbs, and make sure you take advantage of the 15% off of a single pair of shoes deal that Vertical Runner of Worcester is offering to 5K May 2021 participants. Your feet will thank you. Saturday is going to be epic. Now for the second question. You mentioned that you had a big announcement about the JPM 5K in Music Fest. What is it? When we first started planning for the 2021 JPM 5K in Music Fest, the world was still in COVID land. Here in Ohio, there were still mandates for masks and social distancing, so we were planning accordingly, thinking it would be better to have the event with COVID protocols in place rather than to let COVID keep us from getting together and running a fun, safe race. So we went ahead with opening registration, promising a new round of custom BOCO JPM face masks, and taking all kinds of COVID precautions. 
As of several weeks ago, the CDC has changed their recommendations and the governor of Ohio has announced that mask and social distancing mandates will be lifted on June 2nd. Since our race is several weeks after that, giving out face masks, as cool as these ones were, seemed like a total waste. Now, I'm not very happy with saying I'm going to do something and then not doing it. So, we have decided to replace the Boko JPM custom face masks with Boko JPM custom hats. I know, I know. It's a really big deal. Okay, okay, settle down. Enough! We are also looking at bringing some version of the actual Music Fest back, which is really exciting. I'm not sure how that is going to work out yet. Uh, we're way beyond the window to bring in a national act as we have done in the past, but I am trying to talk the guys of Poland Band into doing it, and I, I think that just might happen. If we do the live music, we will probably not be able to do the Taylor's Playground Recording Studio compilation album, so I'm not sure yet what that means for the virtual participants, but we'll get it all figured out. We are also looking to bring back legit post-race food instead of touchless post-race food bags. So hopefully that'll all work out as well. So you are really getting an incredible value for your JPM 5K and Music Fest entrance fee. You get a custom race shirt, a Boko custom hat, a chip time race, and possibly a live music and warm food option for after the race. That's pretty incredible for a local 5K. If you haven't signed up yet for the eighth annual JPM 5K and Music Fest on Saturday evening, June 26th, what are you waiting for? Perhaps you are just waiting for this podcast to end so that you can get online and get signed up at midohiorm.com or by clicking on the link at www.jeffpullermusic.com. I understand. So let's keep this podcast rolling. Let's get back into the Gospel of John for our daily Bible reading. Chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Again? Jesus replied, There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise 
rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises. At the last day, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and said to her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing by said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus! Come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that this one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophecy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before the Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for the Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. In the New Living Translation of the Gospel of John, which we've been reading for this podcast, John 11, 5-6 says, Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, I'm not saying that the New Living Translation is wrong, but I think the English Standard Version is a bit more helpful in using a rather peculiar word that is missing from the NLT. This is the same passage from the ESV. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's John 11, verses 5 through 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so... 
when he hears that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two days longer. I mean, what? This seems crazy to me. If I were the one who was capable of healing my friend whom I loved, I can't imagine hearing about their illness and then staying where I was so that they could die. If I had the power to save them, I would rush to their side right away. But Jesus is the glorious Savior, and he often does things differently than we would. In truth, he always does them better than we would. But that's not always easy for us to see and accept. As it turns out, Jesus showed up in Bethany and wept over the death of Lazarus. Now let that sink in. He wept over the death of his friend. He had the power to rush to his friend's side and keep him from dying. But instead, because he loved Lazarus, he allowed him to die and literally wept over his death. Then, at just the right time, he miraculously and marvelously raised Lazarus from the dead. In fact, this was his plan from the beginning. The verses prior to the verses already quoted show us his plan in plain text. The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. That's John 11, verses 3 through 4. Jesus may not always be the quickest in how he goes about things, at least not from our perspective, but he is always working out his plan. We may not always understand what God is up to. In fact, I promise you, you will not always understand what God is up to, but you can always trust and know that regardless of how your circumstances seem to you, God knows about it, God cares about it, God may even be weeping over it, and it is somehow mysteriously happening for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from it. Chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, 
everyone has gone after him. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted into the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder. Others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of man will die. Just who is this son of man anyway? Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe. For Isaiah also said, The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this, because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. I am always amazed by the plot from the leading priests to kill Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. This is John 12, verses 9 through 11 again. It says, When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. It is astonishing to consider the depths of depravity at play here. Lazarus was dead, now he is alive. But the leading priests are not rejoicing over this great miracle, no. Instead, they are plotting to literally kill him again, just to keep people from coming to Jesus, the one who was responsible for the miracle resurrection. I mean, wow, I read this and I think, well, I guess not much has changed. I don't believe that the leading priests were intending to keep people from God. I actually believe they were so blind to the truth of who God is that they actually considered themselves to be doing the right thing by plotting to kill Lazarus. I mean, 
I know it sounds crazy, but I think it's true. They actually thought they were protecting people by killing a living human being. Somehow they thought of this murder as a compassionate action. They were choosing to end one life in order to make another life better. I guess you could say they were pro-choice in that regard. Lazarus was an inconvenience. The leading priest just wanted the inconvenience to go away. I mean, how sad, how absolutely terrible, how utterly tragic. We do not find out in the text what happened to Lazarus. It's likely that this plot to kill him never fully developed to the point of being carried out. Legend actually points to Lazarus either traveling to Cyprus to become a church leader there until he died of natural causes, or of him traveling to Marseille and becoming a church leader there until he was beheaded for his faith. It's unclear as to which, if either of these legends is true. Either way, the point remains that the leading priests were losing their minds regarding Jesus. This still seems to be the case today. I can think of educational elites, popular politicians, spiritual leaders, and others today who would seemingly stop at nothing to keep people from truly coming to Jesus. Why? I believe they actually think they are doing the right thing. They are protecting people. They see their actions as compassionate. How tragically misguided they are. But like many of the people in the first century who were going away and believing in Jesus, we don't have to listen to them. We can choose to personally come to Jesus, the giver of life, the one who has the power to raise the dead. We can come to him on our own. We don't need their permission or approval. Their desire to keep us from Jesus does not have to result in our being kept from Jesus. No one can stop us from coming to Jesus. Listen to his own words from here in John 12 towards the end of this chapter. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust in me, you are trusting not only in me, but also in God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. That's John 12, verse 44 through 46. May those who have ears to hear, hear him calling out to you today. Well, I think we have reached the point in the podcast where we need to give another shout out to Scott Tinman. Ask and you shall receive. Here is another bonus song for you today. The song is from my upcoming solo project and it is called Jesus Is His Name. Yeah.
Chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, 
Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? But that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, hurry and do what you are going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Several years ago, I took some online Bible classes with a prominent Bible school. They were good classes, but in one of my classes, I had to write a report on John 13, and I got a terrible grade on the paper. I argued that pastors should not preach about Jesus washing the feet of Judas, who was to betray him, because it is not something that is clearly seen in the text. In fact, after reading and deeply studying the passage, I had come to the conclusion that Jesus probably did not wash Judas' feet. Mathematically, it doesn't make much sense that he washed all of the disciples' feet. Conservatively speaking, let's say it took three minutes per disciple to wash their feet. That is 36 minutes of feet washing after dinner had already been served. The Bible says that it was time for supper when Jesus got up from the table. You can see verses 2 and 4 for that. Then he began washing feet, and after he is finished, he goes back to dipping bread. See verse 26. I really don't believe that Jesus made his disciples wait a half hour in the middle of the meal to resume eating. Mathematically, it doesn't make much sense and that's fine because he didn't have to wash all of their feet in order to make the point. 
We live in a world where everything has to be fair. The general line of thinking is, if you do such and such for one person, then you have to do it for everyone. Well, that's just dumb. The point that Jesus made by washing Simon Peter's feet was plenty good enough. The master was willing to be the servant. There was no need to wash all 24 feet in order to make that point. My guess is that Jesus washed the feet of Peter, James, and John. It would not have been abnormal for the inner three to have that kind of special treatment or to be used as an example. By washing their feet, he may have spent nearly 10 minutes in the middle of supper and sufficiently made his point. He also made it a point during his teaching to point out that not everyone was clean, referring specifically to Judas. In John 13 verse 10, Jesus said, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for their feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now, it seems highly unlikely to me that Jesus would have washed Judas's feet and made this very obvious statement about Judas not being clean in the same very short stretch of time. Again, my guess is that Jesus washed the feet of Peter, James, and John, and to them he said, you disciples are clean. Then, looking directly at Judas, he added, but not all of you. Shots fired. And of course, I may be wrong, but at the very least, the Bible does not explicitly make it clear that Jesus washed the feet of Judas in this instance. And I think, given the rest of the information about Judas here in this chapter, that detail would have been important to include. As it is, from the text, we know only that it was in the middle of supper that Jesus washed Simon's and at least one of the other disciples' feet, and that Jesus was using this opportunity to talk about clean and unclean while clearly pointing out that one of them was not clean, and that person was obviously Judas. Given the context and the specific details included, I would lean towards Jesus not washing the feet of Judas. So why do so many pastors teach and preach that Jesus washed the feet of Judas during the Last Supper? And why did I get such a bad grade on my paper for suggesting the opposite? I think sometimes we are really uncomfortable with the real Jesus. Will the real Jesus please stand up? Yes, Jesus said that we should pray for our enemies. You can see that in Matthew 5 verse 44. But he also said that he did not come to bring peace but a sword. That's in Matthew 10 verse 34. Maybe Jesus really did wash the feet of his betrayer on the night of his betrayal, knowing that he would be turned over to the religious leaders on that very night. Maybe, maybe not. The Bible definitely does not say that he did. I was bummed out about my bad grade and I wondered if I was the only one who read the text this way. Then several weeks later, I went to see a live drama portraying the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And during the drama, at the Last Supper, Jesus washed the feet of several of his disciples while he spoke the words of John 13. Then, according to this drama, coming to Judas, he looked him straight in the eyes and said, Not all of you are clean, and dumped the water on the ground. Apparently, I am not the only one to think that this is probably exactly what happened. Now let me know what you think. Do I make a compelling case here? Based solely off of what the Bible actually says, do you think it is more reasonable to believe that Jesus did or did not wash Judas's feet? Why would it even matter? Let me know by leaving a comment on the blog at www.jeffpullenmusic.com. I am so excited about tomorrow's podcast. I have one of my absolute favorite guests of all time going to be on the podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So be sure to tune into that episode tomorrow. And until then, let's send you out with a song from Poland Band called Great Redeemer.
Oh, oh, oh. 